You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. You know, I recognize that the topics that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks um, can be emotionally sensitive for some people. Um, In fact, they're going to affect some of you individually differently than they may affect other people. And the challenge, I just want to say right out the gate, for many of us in this room or even those online, the challenge is to avoid the temptation to say, man, I hope so-and-so is watching. I can't wait to send this message so that this person hears it. I want us to all agree that that these messages should be a mirror for our own souls so that we examine where we are with the Lord. I understand when I preach something like this or a topic series like this, you know, some people are going to say, man, Robbie, you didn't say enough. You should have said more. Uh, Some of you are going to say, Robbie, you went too far. You said too much. So some are going to say you didn't go far enough. Some are going to say you went too far. And some are going to say, Pastor Robbie, you are too far gone. And I realize that, and so does Kenny. But uh, that's, <laughs> that's not fixable. But there's one thing I, I want you to know, that I want to promise you in this series that God loves you and that God is for you. And my prayer has been the prayer before we started, and even now that we leave this series with more empathy for other people, we would leave this series with a, with a sensitivity to our own sinfulness and our deep desire for a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the only answer to every sexual sin in our life. I, already, I think you would agree with me. Fall is one of the best times of the year, particularly in Middle Tennessee. Anybody agree with that? Uh, I love fall for a number of reasons, one of which I get to hang out in the backyard with the boys around the fire pit, and we have some great talks around the fire pit. And one of the things I've learned about fire pits and even fire in general, is that fire is great when it's in the boundaries of a protective nature or a protective uh, object like a fire pit or a fireplace. That same fire taken out of a fireplace can be destructive. Inside it's good, but outside we agree it can be destructive. You know, sex is the same way. Sex is like a fire. A fire inside of a fireplace is warm for the house, and you can even cook with it, but one inch or one foot outside of the fireplace, it can burn your house to the ground. A fire on a torch that you walk through the woods with can be great to light the path, but that same torch thrown to the ground can destroy the entire forest. Sex is like fire. Sex within the confines and the boundaries that God has placed upon it is good. Sex outside of those boundaries can be destructive. Now, before we get into God's design for sex, which we're going to talk about today, it's important for us to understand that you cannot talk about sex without talking about marriage. Marriage and sex go together. You have to understand both of these to understand. I'd even say you have to understand marriage to understand gender, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. God created sex to happen within the confines of a marriage. It'd be similar of trying to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers without talking about college football. Apparently, a lot of people are talking about the Tennessee Volunteers right now, right? Go Big Orange. Amen. Contrary to popular opinion and text messages and emails, I am a Tennessee fan. I've been here 15 years waiting for this year. 
Anybody with me? I mean, we, we, I've watched more Tennessee this year than I've watched LSU, which is not much to watch. But anyway, to talk about... To talk about Tennessee outside of college football would be meaningless. To talk about sex outside of marriage is meaningless. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you God's design for sex in the covenant relationship of a marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We'll go all the way back to the Old Testament. We're going to camp out here for a little while. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. And we're going to see what God says about marriage. Verse 23, when you're there, we like to say word at Long Hollow. If you're at home, you can join in. When you're there, you can say word. The word of the Lord. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman. For she was taken from the man. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and bonds, that's the word that means to be glued together, to be melded together with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. The the first principle I wanna teach you about sex is that marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's design. And, And marriage is so important to God, isn't it fascinating? that God introduces marriage and a wedding in the second chapter of the Bible. Now think about that. The second chapter of the Bible, God introduces marriage. And then we learn a little more of why this marriage is between a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And we see that from Genesis 2.20. So go back up to verse 20. Let's just pick it up. The man gave names to all the livestock. So after God created all the livestock in the world and everything in it. He created man. And then he said, Adam, you're going to name the livestock, which he did, to the birds of the sky and every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found. And this is the word corresponding to him. Now, the Jewish rabbis believe that what happened is God, in a kind of a de-harmony, or e-harmony fashion, uh, paraded the animals before him to see between him and Adam, if there was a helper for him, if there was a, a, a suitable partner for him, and after all the animals came through, God's like, this is not gonna work. And so God says, you need someone who is different but complementary. You need someone that corresponds to you. So, because of that, the Lord God caused the deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and close the flesh at that place. By the way, he takes the rib because the woman is equal to, not subservient to, by the way. Did you know that? A woman is equal to the man. Different in role, equal in value from the rib, right? Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman. Just a side note, I don't know if you know this. Do you know why Adam called Eve woman? Anybody know this? Anybody know this? Because after he saw her walking through the garden naked, he said, whoa, man. (laughs) And that stuck. I don't know how it stuck, but it stuck, apparently. I don't know if that's true. I made that up. But I had to lighten the mood. I had to lighten the tension. So (laughs) had to lighten it up. Okay. And then he brought her to the man. Okay. Three essential parts of marriage. Let me give you the three essential parts of marriage all through the Bible. It never changes, always the same. Part number one, it's one man 
one woman. Now, for time and because of lack of redundancy, I'm gonna tackle this topic in two weeks when I talk about transgender ideology. I'm gonna talk about manhood, womanhood, gender. But I just wanna say one word about that here. God is very specific, male and female, man and woman, husband and wife. He's very specific in the Hebrew about these words. And what God is showing us is this. Whenever we today try to edit history, biblical or cultural history, by redefining what marriage and gender is as something different than what it's always been for 2,000 years of Christian history from Jesus and 2,500 years prior to that of Jewish history, it ceases to be marriage. It becomes something else. And I know a lot of young people look at me. You, 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 it's easy to think in 2022 that the government created marriage. The government didn't create marriage. God created marriage. It was his idea. It was his design. It's his plan. And he knows what it is because he made it, right? So God designed marriage as a man and a woman. Number two, marriage is one flesh. One flesh. Look at verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds or glues together with his wife and they become one flesh. Now, what you'll find is there is no place in the Bible where anyone deviating from that plan is blessed by God. You'll never find it. Now, you will find corruptions of God's plan for marriage in the Bible, but in every case where there's a deviation, there are consequences for their actions. For example, I mean, you don't have to look very far. Two chapters after Genesis 2, because of the original sin of Adam and Eve and because of the depravity of man, you see this downward spiral. Lamech, in a sense. Lamech is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 19. Lamech goes ahead and takes two wives from self. We see it just two chapters later. You're going to find Abraham has more than one wife. You're gonna find Isaac and Jacob, more than one wife. David is gonna have more than one wife. Solomon, different sermon for another day, but Solomon has a lot of wives. But here's what I wanna show you. In every case, there are consequences for their actions. So I need to give you a little backstory of what the Bible is, because I think, I think if we misunderstand what this book is, then we must understand how it's written and what its purpose is. The Bible is actually a record book of the lives of men and women who have a choice of whether they're gonna follow God's way or their way. Remember, these are real people just like us. They have choices to make and options to choose. Do I follow God's ways or do I listen to Satan's lies? Their lives, listen, are not prescriptive, meaning this is how we should live all the time. Their lives are more descriptive, meaning we should learn from their mistakes and not follow them. I mean, that's what the Bible is. And some Christians or even critics will even push back and say, well, what about King David? King David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he was a sinner. So look at that example. Well, yes, King David was a man after God's own heart, but King David's life doesn't give us the liberty to go out and have affairs with another man's wife. The Bible's clear about that. In the New Testament, Jesus is going to uphold the covenant of marriage. You know, an argument against uh, heterosexual um, 
sex and, and other options is Jesus was silent on these topics. Actually, Jesus wasn't silent on these topics. Jesus actually raised the bar on these topics. Why? Because he upholds the covenant of marriage. In fact, Jesus says it in Matthew 19. Watch this. Verse 5. Jesus says, and he's quoting Genesis here, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Sound familiar? And be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, the question is, what about the apostle Paul? Did Paul believe one man, one woman, one flesh? Absolutely, Ephesians chapter five, verse 31. This is Paul talking. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What about other places in the New Testament? I'll give you one more. The, the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, but the writer of Hebrews upholds marriage again. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled or stained or immoral. Why? Because God will judge the sexually immoral. And this is pornography, pornea, any kind of immorality outside of the marriage covenant and he will judge adulterers. Here's the thing I wanna say as we kind of move on from this point. The one man, one woman, one flesh idea is the only way human beings can obey the first command of God to the first couple, which was be fruitful and multiply. There is no other way to follow and obey this command outside of one man, one woman, and a marriage. Now, I'm aware that there are some in this room who cannot have kids. I know that there are some men who can't have children and there are some women who are barren. I get that, but only a man, here's the point I wanna make, only a man and a woman can conceive a child. And this was all the way back in the beginning. God set this up from the beginning to show us that men and women are created differently but complementary to one another. Listen, God created us male and female with a purpose that can only be fulfilled by a male and a female. And here's the reality. God's blessing is only attached to that. Now, I know there's some in here who would say, but pastor, we are unable to conceive. I get that, and, and, and I can imagine the pain with that, and I've heard from many of you who pray and see God to conceive. But even, let me just encourage you, even in that God is still glorified and he has a plan. And God can even still use your life in that situation to glorify him. The third aspect of marriage is this, one man, one woman, one flesh, watch this, one lifetime. One lifetime. Now where do I get this idea? I get this idea from the one flesh union of a man and a woman for life. And what it shows us is that Sex is way more, young people listen, it's way more than something physical. Sex has an emotional component, it has a relational component, it has a spiritual component to it. It's way more than just a physical act. And this is what our culture doesn't tell us today, right? The culture doesn't tell us that, that, that sex is, is more than something physical, right? We've cheapened it today as we hear the news stories and film and media that, that uh, sex is about a one-night stand, right? Or you could have sex with no consequences or no strings attached. But they fail to tell you that it's emotional, right? It's relational. That there's a spiritual component to it. 
Culture's telling our young kids and our, our grandkids today, listen, if he or she's hot, man, you just need to sleep with her. I mean, having sex today is as easy as swiping on an app or trying to find a, quote, tender relationship online. It's become a transaction between two people and not a binding of a husband and a wife, which is the way God created it. Friends, God created sex for so much more than physical attraction. Jesus reminds us of that. He says, listen, anything outside of the the boundaries of a one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime covenant marriage has damaging effects to your soul. Anytime there's sexual sin outside of that, sin outside of that covenant, there's damaging effects. Now, Jesus is gonna say this in a roundabout way in Matthew chapter five. This is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus delivers the greatest sermon Uh, to an audience that's listening. The disciples are there, but you have to believe there's more than that. The audience predominantly was men. Most men would come out to hear rabbi. There are women there, but he's speaking particularly to the men. And notice what he says. So you're in the audience and you're hearing Jesus say this. And what he's gonna do here is he's gonna take an Old Testament commandment and he's gonna show that it still has weight and value today and he raises the bar. Which next week I'll make the case in this sermon about homosexual, homosexual uh, identity and, and, and sexuality. I'm gonna talk next week about how Jesus doesn't negate the Old Testament law. He actually upholds the Old Testament law. And here's an example. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. He's saying, you've heard this before. It's the scripture. Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in, with her in his heart. Pretty challenging word from Jesus. And what he's gonna say is, he's saying without saying, God designed sex inside of a marriage between a husband and a wife. And so the opposite of that is this, sex outside of marriage of any kind is, is forbidden by God. Sex uh, that with, with a boyfriend and a girlfriend before marriage, forbidden by God. Adultery, forbidden by God. Same sex relationships outside of the marriage between one man, one woman, forbidden by God. And so after Jesus finishes this point, which is interesting, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. The guys in the audience preferably would have said to themselves, man, I'm good. Most of the guys, man, we're good. I didn't sleep with my wife. I'm not cheated on her. I haven't committed adultery, so I'm good with God. And then Jesus follows that up with this. But I tell you, be true to yourself and follow your heart. Is that, is that what he says? But, is, what he says? but I tell you, give in to your sexual desires. Is that what he says? But I tell you, you need to act on your feelings. Is that what he, is that what he says here? I'm being funny, but, but is that what he says? No. But I tell you, if it feels good, you got to do it. Is that what he said? No. Jesus doesn't say any of that. See, what Jesus is showing us here by raising the bar, watch this. Jesus is showing us something about the Old Testament commandments. And here's what he's showing us. God's commands were never given as a standard to live up to. Friends, listen, the gospel is not about God congratulating you for being good enough. It's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not try harder, work better. The Bible is not about God congratulating us from being good enough. The Bible is about God coming to lost people who realize they are not good enough. But we have someone who was. 
Jesus shows us that adultery is not what you do with your private parts. Adultery is something that happens in the privacy of your own heart. Something we think about. It's something we desire. It's something within our heart. And it shows us what Jesus is trying to say is that sin is not, watch this, the commandments that God gave us were not for behavior modification. The commandments were given for sin mortification. You know what sin mortification is? This is the concept of the idea that you are ruthlessly trying to eliminate sin in your own heart, eradicating sin in your life because you know of the damaging effects it can have on you. Two years ago, my, my, my family, my dad had one hobby, and that was Friday night, we'd eat as a family kind of seafood, and then Saturday night, we would go to a movie and dinner. And so from the age of six to the age of 20-ish, I've seen every movie ever made. I mean, I'm just telling you. Well, what about the bad movies when you were little? My mom would hold my eyes or close my ear. But anyway, you know, the, 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 we saw every movie. And, and this movie I saw, not recommending this movie. Uh, it's an interesting movie, but I remember seeing it. It's a movie with Tom Cruise two decades ago, just to tell you how old it is. It was a movie called Vanilla Sky. I don't know if you remember this movie. But in the movie, Tom Cruise's character is friends with Cameron Diaz's character, and they actually are friends, but they have friends, is a friends with kind of benefits sexually, if you will. So Tom would go to her house whenever he wanted pleasure and have sex with her, and then he'd leave, and Cameron Diaz's character wants more from Tom Cruise, but it's kind of a friendship to him. And then in the middle of the movie, he meets a woman uh, by the name of Penelope Cruz. We know her, that's the character. And Penelope Cruz um, and him fall, start to fall in love and he's trying to break it off with Cameron Diaz and she kind of loses her mind in the movie. She starts to blackmail him. She tries to kill him. They're in a car one time about to go off the road and Tom Cruise is trying to rationalize her thing. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to do this to me? And this line in the movie, just profound. Here's what she says. She says, when you sleep with someone, your body makes promises even if you don't. When you sleep with someone, your body makes promises even if you don't. That right there is the heart of Jesus' commandment. What he's showing us is that our emotions and our feelings are inextricably connected to our actions. This is why Jesus is showing us that the heart of the problem is a problem of our heart. That's the problem. Friends, let me remind you, God's commands show us our inability as men and women to live up to his ways. The commands of God reveal the sinfulness of our own heart. Let me remind you, we don't begin life perfect and then try to preserve sexual purity the rest of our existence. That's not what happens. I mean, if that was the case, then the moment we mess up, then we start to feel like we're damaged goods and we're useless to God. If that was the case, who in the world in here would have hope for anything? Like we're all indicted, right? 
The message of the gospel is that we all have adulterous, sexually impure hearts, and no one can measure up to God's standard. Every one of us in here, regardless of past, history, race, or upbringing, social, economic class, every one of us in here is in desperate need of God's mercy and grace. And if that's the case, that means there is no place at Long Hollow or joining us online where anyone can point fingers at another person or be judged and their attitudes and actions for this person's sexual sin. See, so you gotta understand, when Jesus says, anyone who looks at another person of the opposite sex with lust in their heart, or anyone with lust in their heart, they've committed adultery. You know what he just did? Jesus basically leveled the playing field. So he did. And here's what he said. Every person in here and watching online is guilty of sin. So let me just say it plainly. God really does care who you sleep with. In the weeks ahead, I'm gonna talk about deviations of God's design, but I think we need to, you need to stay with me through the series because we're building a case to get there. And what we're gonna see is that there are deviations from God's design, such as a homosexual lifestyle, such as transgender ideology. But for the moment, for just a moment, I wanna camp out right here and I wanna talk about the most pervasive sin in the American church. And that is heterosexual immorality. Someone said, whereas homosexuality binds you to sin, heterosexuality blinds you to sin. What does it mean? Because heterosexuals, we think, well, that's not really a big deal. Let me point the finger over here, but let me turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to my own sin. Let, let me just remind you today, and I gotta remind myself of this. God does not rank sin numerically like we do. You know, we think other people's sins are always worse than ours, right? I mean, like, like those sins are bad, but never think ours are a big deal, right? But those people, golly, boy, they're, they're far from God. But the Bible is clear, every person is commanded to flee from sexual immorality. I mean, that's what the Bible says, flee from sexual sin. Any relationship outside of the marriage covenant of one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime, according to the Bible, is sin. And that's what the Bible says. And sin, as we know, separates you from God. But it's all too easy for us in the church to say, you know what, I don't struggle like they do with sexual sin. My sin's not as bad. And yet at the same time, our seats are filled every week with people who have porn habits while their spouse is in bed. Or they're cheating on their spouse with someone else. Or they're sleeping, you're in here and you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage at a rate that's sadly no different than society. And it's easy for us to turn a blind eye to sexual sin and we don't flee from it. We justify the sexual sin. Pastor, you don't understand. That's just the dating scene today for boys and girls. That's just what they do. Boys will be boys. That's what boys do. I'm young. That's what some of you think. I'm young. I can repent when I'm older. I mean, I'm having fun now. Or this one, God has to forgive me, Right? No, listen to me. If you profess to be a born-again follower of Jesus, you and I are constrained to follow God's command 
for sex and marriage, which is always one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime. But I want you to see marriage is not just God's design or idea. Marriage is actually way more than that. And this is a point you may not have thought about, but the second insight I want to close with is this. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Now you may be saying, why is the gospel a big deal to God? Why is marriage such a big deal to God? Well, I'll prove it to you. The second chapter of the Bible begins with a wedding. I think it's interesting. Of all the things God could start with, it's a wedding. He starts in Genesis chapter two with Adam and Eve and God is the officiator of the ceremony. He marries the two together, if you will. And then you go through the Bible and you get to the book of Exodus and you realize that there is another wedding that's happening where Moses is the officiator of the wedding between God and mankind. And you're probably saying, what are you talking about? Let me just show you this one. God takes the nation out of bondage and they go to the promised land. They make their way to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up and gets the commands from God. And as soon as Moses comes down with the commands, like a pastor officiating a wedding ceremony, he's gonna marry the people to God. Watch this, Exodus 24, 23. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Basically, this is the marriage agreement. Do you take Robbie to be her, do you ha to have and to hold till death do a, this is all the commands and the words and the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Here's what's happening. Moses says, here's the deal. God says he will take you to be his bride if you follow the commands and rules and regulate, and here they are. And the people with one voice said what? We do. And they're married at that point. That's interesting, why? Because the Bible always talks about the church being the bride of Christ and God being, or Christ being the bridegroom. I don't think it's any accident when you turn to the New Testament, the very first miracle of Jesus is where? At a wedding, interesting. And I don't think it's by accident that the way this whole thing ends in Revelation is that Jesus Christ, go read it, Jesus Christ is gonna gather all his people, the church, his bride, to himself for a wedding dinner to commemorate him being victorious once and for all. Here's what you need to understand. The Bible begins with a wedding between man and woman and ends with a wedding with God being united with his people once and for all. You think weddings and marriage is a big deal to God? You better believe it. Now, Paul knows this, and the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter five, quoting Genesis, is gonna teach us something about the gospel. Watch what he says. Paul says, quoting Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, here's what you need to understand. The Bible calls the church the bride and Jesus the bridegroom which is why sex of any kind outside of that marriage structure is an attack on God. You need to understand, why does Satan hate marriage so much? And if you don't believe Satan hates marriage, just watch history, him trying to just deconstruct marriage. Why does he hate marriage so much? Because he hates the gospel. 
Satan hates the good news being told to people and the very means by which God gives the greatest picture to a lost world of the gospel. His relationship to his people, a man with a wife, is a marriage. And the attack in the garden, remember, it was not against the first couple just in their relationship with God, which it was. The attack in the garden was against the relationship between the husband and the wife, which is why Satan would love nothing more than to destroy your marriage. Why? Because your marriage, whether you want to or not agree with it, is a picture of the gospel to a lost world. And Satan wants to destroy that picture of the gospel to the world. See, what's at stake here is way big than, bigger than, man, I'm in love with this person. I have a desire for this person. I have feelings and I need to give in and have a release of these feelings for this person. No, what's at stake is a distortion of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake. What's at stake here is the destiny of the eternal souls of men and women. Remember, we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are, let me remind you of this, we are spiritual beings who are here having a physical experience which points to something way beyond this temporal day we live in. Feel the weight of that. Friends, friends, listen to me. This life is but a vapor and a mist, and there is so much more in eternity waiting for us, and Satan would love nothing more than to attack the gospel, which the very picture is the marriage. And, and just think of the history. Started in the 60s. Who needs marriage when you have love? And then a few years later, a few generations later, who needs marriage when you can get a divorce? And then a couple years ago, who needs a person when you can have porn? And now it's, <laughs> who needs guardrails? Who needs parameters when you can have pleasure? If it feels good, do it or be it or identify as it. Do you remember the fires in Gatlinburg in 2016, not too long ago? Anybody remember the fires in Gatlinburg? destroyed 2,500 homes and businesses and just consumed, I think it was like 17,000 acres of land, this, this fire that had gotten out of control. They did an investigation and they found out that the cause of the fire was started by two boys, 15 and 17, who were simply just walking through the, the woods, lighting matches and throwing them on the ground. And so you have to ask and answer the question, what would cause devastation of this magnitude? What would cause 17,000 acres and 20-something hundred homes to be destroyed? You know what it was? One lit match. One insignificant, in our mind, lit match. I want you to hear this. Sex outside of the covenant of marriage is a lit match to your soul. This is why God puts parameters in place. This is why God puts principles and standards in place, not for restrictions of our happiness, but God puts them there as expressions of his love for us. He wants us to prosper. Remember, God is for you in the area of sexuality. You need to know that. God wants you to prosper. He wants this to be for your good and his glory at the same time. Friends, you know this if you're married. Sex is a wonderful gift that was meant for marriage. But anything outside of the marriage covenant is devastating. And so we have a choice today. 
The choice is simple. Do we follow and obey God's plans and rules and principles which have stood the test of time for 2,000 years of church history and 2,500 years of Jewish history before that? Or do we fall into Satan's lies? I want you to know these plans and promises of God are meant for you to flourish. He wants the best for you. So I want to close right now by just asking you to think. I know in a church this size, and I know in an audience online of the size we have, I know there are some who are watching and saying, hey, I'm right now. Man, you struck a chord with me. You hit a nerve with this message. I am right now in the middle of sexual sin. And you know it's wrong. And listen, you don't even know how you got here. You, you don't even know how it progressed this far. And maybe it's an inappropriate relationship with someone other than your spouse, whether physical or emotional or texting or starting to go there more physically. Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, I've been sleeping around with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I've been looking at porn occasionally or daily when my spouse goes to bed or early in the morning, I've just been looking at porn. I wanna encourage you today that you can see transformation in your life in a moment through repentance. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. And so I believe the answer to the problem is not to do better or try harder or pull yourself up from your bootstraps. The answer is to confess your sin to Jesus and to receive the free gift that he offers of salvation and ask him to set you free from this sin. Maybe you're a believer in here. You say, well, pastor, I've already accepted Jesus as my savior, but I'm still bound by these sins in my life of sexual sin. Friends, the moment you confess sin to the Lord, the burden and the guilt and the shame are removed immediately. And the Bible promises if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness and to cleanse us of that. And so if you confess, he does that. The Bible says when you confess your sin, he washes it for as far as the east is from the west. He removes our transgressions from us. That's good news today. And so the answer to your sin problem is not found in a plan, it's found in a person. And so I wanna encourage you now just to confess that to the Lord. Now, I don't wanna group this size to think that many are gonna to run to the altar or raise a hand and say, hey man, I'm in sexual sin, I'm looking at porn. I know that may not happen, but I just wanna pray over you quietly. And I know there are some who will say, hey, I need help. Because I know when I'm desperate enough for healing, I do desperate things. And I know some of you in here are tired of the shame and the guilt and the pain and you just want healing. So I wanna pray over you now. Would you just bow your head for a moment and I wanna pray over those who are, would say, Pastor, I'm struggling with sexual sin. I'm a Christian, I'm a deacon. I'm a life group teacher, I'm on staff here and I have, I have lust in my heart. I, I'm looking at pornography, talking to someone other than my spouse. I know in a group this size, there are some who would say that. If the statistics are right, 70% of the men in this room are looking at pornography and 30 plus percent of the women are as well. If the statistics are right. Now, I don't know who you are, but God does and I don't need to know. 
but I'm just going to pray over you now. And I know there's something about publicly acknowledging the need for prayer. So I'm going to pray over you now. If you would just say quickly, no one looking around out of respect for those who would say, I need prayer right now. Would you just slip your hand up? No one looking around but me. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, you know, tell me what the, what the issue is. I'm just going to pray for the Spirit of the Lord to give you freedom today, to give you hope for the future, to give you victory over this sin in your life. Would you just raise your hand, Pastor, pray for me. Pray that I experience freedom and power. Thank you. Anyone else? Pastor Robbie, pray for me. Thank you, sister. Is there anyone else, a man or a woman? Pastor, just pray for me. No one looking, but those who are raising their hands. Praise God. Thank you in the back. Anyone else? Just pray for me. Thank you, brother. Father, I pray right now. I don't know all the hands that were raised, and I don't know all the hearts that have been affected in a good way, God, with conviction. God, conviction is the roadmap to healing. God, when we're convicted over our sin, we confess it and we repent of it. And there is life and liberty, God, in a person. And so we confess our sin and we ask you to come into our life, God. We receive you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior of our life, God. And we ask you to give us the power to experience victory and sobriety and joy and healing and mercy that's new every single day. God, would you lift the guilt and the shame from the lives of those who are crippled by sexual sin. And God, I just pray that you give them hope of the future. We love you, Lord. We, we know the only person who can do this is the one in whom, whose name we pray in, and that's the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Hey, I want you to stand with me, and um, we're going to sing and worship through song. But I want you to remember this, this number and this word, because I know that in a group this size there are some who are struggling with pornography and sexual sin and you need help. I'm gonna encourage you to text 98173, the word hope. You, you cannot beat this alone, I promise you. But we're here to help you, we wanna walk alongside of you. I also know in a group this size, just the talk of sexuality and sexual sin brings up the relationship even you're in now, that you're in a toxic and abusive relationship and you need help, you text the word HOPE to 98173, either now or on the way home or either this week, and we wanna come alongside and help you through um, and get out of that relationship as well and show you what the, what the Bible says about that.